Welcome to episode 91 of the Michael Anthony Show, and thank you for lending us your ears once again this week. Pat Martin, we have not heard from you since the controversial, and some might say brave, episode 89. Thank you, yeah. I don't think it's brave. Okay. Uh, you're selling stories. I think it's cheap. Embarrassing, nearly. And having thought about it for two weeks, I'm still unable to communicate with you okay. for an entire show. I'm looking for some real bravery. I'm calling Daddy Weir. Let's remix this junk. Boys! Boys! Well done, boys! Well done, boys! Well done, boys! Boys! Sinking sand of despair. Well done, boys! The smell of dread in the air. Well done, boys! Boys! I'm boys! I'm my own fear. Well done, boys! I'm going to die and I need to cry. Ah. Well done, boys. Doddy Weir, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Michael, thank you very much. Brilliant. Doddy Weir, uh, legendary luck forward, former Scottish international and British and Irish line. On the 97 tour, Doddy, isn't that correct? That is correct. Yeah, South Africa. Good the, time. The video of that tour <laughs> is legendary. Is, is Jim Telfer as crazy as he looks? Hey, he's mellowed quite a lot, Michael. Yeah, he's been very helpful in my campaign at home. But, but then, yeah, got a two kind of making of what the man was. His passion for rugby is just unbelievable. And uh, with that, I think I had a big movement in what he was doing to get the result. Uh, true gate man. I owe quite a lot to Jim because he taught me back home rugby at Melrose Rugby Club. Then the Scotland rugby, and then obviously the Lions. He was one of the main coaches. Uh, too good guy, but he does like to swear quite quite a lot at the moment. Has quite uh, different techniques to get motivated because one occasion in the game of rugby they say you're too high, you die. So if you stand up right, you give the opposition quite a big target. So what he did, he got the forwards to run under a net, which would be about waist height. And if he ever got too high, he had a wooden stick like a broom handle. Yeah. And would whack it, whack it on your back to get um, lower. Did you, did you play in the test in 97, Daddy, no? You, you got uh, not no, taken unfortunately, out. Uh, my career, uh, I didn't, unfortunately. Two weeks into the competition or the tour, I got a quite a serious injury from a boy, Maris Bosman. Karate kicked my, my leg and knocked my ligaments in my knee. So that meant I went home. But that too met a lot of Irish uh, rugby players. And to this day, still have a very good bond. In particular, Keith Wood. What an amazing individual he is, along with Paul Wallace. You're known as a gentleman off the pitch, a gentle giant. But rugby as a sport, it's as gruesome and, and as tough as it comes. How do you think you're able to change your personality once you cross the white line? Like, What is that skill? How, how do you find that so many rugby players are extremely gentle people off the pitch? Well, I think they're, they're able to vent the regression on the field. And I think that's... A, quite an important part. Uh, it's a contact sport, although nowadays I don't think it's quite easy because the rules are made in a way that is <clears throat> the contact's not quite as ferocious 
as it was in our day. Yeah. And with that, you play hard and you enjoy hard, and it's a camaraderie, and it was good times. I, Mike, I don't think I would like to be enjoy, uh, be involved in a game in today's era. Because the size, too, the size of the guys. No, the size doesn't cause me an issue at all. Uh, it's all the um, everything sort of looked at. So your diet, your training, your playing, uh, what you do on and off the field. You're not. It doesn't really bring any individuality. I think to the game now. It's overcoached and overanalyzed. Do you enjoy watching rugby anymore? Uh, the international was a no club game that I was like watching Newcastle. Uh, games are quite uh, interesting. Certainly the internationals, which very seldom miss a game of that, but probably not as much. I don't think it's exciting as it was in the old days, especially Ireland v Scotland. There yeah. were some pretty intensive battles in the old days. You missed the kind of brawling aspect. You, you missed the way that you could let your opponent know you were there without being cited by a board committee. I think that's important to rugby. There's, there's a, a little bit of that, yeah. I think the games, there's bigger boys now, so the collisions are certainly a little harder. But in a way, it's a bit softer. You're not allowed any sort of off-the-ball incidents, which you shouldn't be. Uh, in some ways, but that was all part of it. Yeah, just telling your next door neighbour, I'm in charge. Yeah. All the cameras that are there nowadays, it's it's not allowing for any divilment whatsoever. And then Dottie, obviously um, the big movement you're involved in now, My Name is Dottie Foundation. In 2016, you were diagnosed with motor neurons disease. Yeah, Michael, that came as a little bit of a surprise up the because I think like everyone in the world, you're, you're, you're gearing your life up for retirement. I would be 46 at the time. I had a sewage company selling septic tanks, doing a bit after the speaking. I had a, a wee small holding in Scottish Borders, so everything was going quite well. And then one day I kind of woke up with uh, my skin twitching and a wee bit on my left arm a wee bit of the power had gone. So I did the dreaded Google and it came up with motor neurons disease. For people who don't know, that's like a muscle wasting disease. So eventually your leg muscles disappear, you can't walk. Your arm muscles disappear, so you can't kind of bathe, eat, clothe. You can't speak eventually, you can't swallow, you can't breathe. So the most horrific issue, and there's no cure to it at the moment. Um, <clears throat> so with that, yeah, my life changed pretty much overnight when I found I had that. So it took about six months to diagnose. So we've had the issue for nearly four years now come December. Uh, and we've been very lucky living with that, Michael, because uh, the average life expectancy of someone with MND is between one and three years. So when I got diagnosed, basically you told you MND, and the professor said, right, cheerio, big man. There's not a lot you can do for you. There's one drug came out nearly 30 years ago, and that's it. And that drug <clears throat> possibly extends your life 
for maybe three months, pretty much there's no good whatsoever. So there's nothing new on the table with uh, for people of MND. So on the back of that, uh, a group of friends, rugby friends, we decided to set our foundation up, My Name is Dory Foundation. And so far to date, we've been able to spend nearly five million pounds, four million to research to try and find a cure, and one million to help people with MND. The support, the generosity has been unbelievable. And it keeps me going, I think. I think that has a lot to do. It's why I'm still here. And then doing that, also love you, Irish, because I drink the old pint of Guinness now. You still have the old pint, yeah? Oh, definitely. I've set myself a little quota. You've got to drink responsible. So I can get away with two pints of Guinness and a bottle of wine. I can still get up the stairs to bed. So that's not too bad. Any over that, I get wobbly legs, so I've got to behave myself. Are you still walking okay? Yeah, yeah, we're still walking. So I need help at the moment with shouting, with eating. So somebody has to feed me um, with clothing. Otherwise, I can do pretty much everything else. So still walking, still going to the gym, still getting up the stairs. So everything in my life. And it's, I think, Michael, uh, with what you said, it's your experience with the rugby has taught me not to give in. So at the moment, I feel I've got a big match with MND. So my fight at the moment is with MND, so I don't give in. By that, I mean, getting up the stairs to my bed every night is quite important. So I stick the two fingers up to MND. Even speaking to you guys today is a big thing for me to say, MND, you're not stopping me doing that. Yeah, it's an inspirational way to live your life. Is it frustrating though, especially because MND, from what I know, it affects everybody differently. That's what makes it a very difficult disease in terms of how long your body might take to shut down and also whether or not it affects your brain. And having heard you speak very eloquently over the past few years about the condition, quite clearly it doesn't seem to have slowed down your mind at all. But is that nearly a double-edged sword? Because it also is quite unique in the fact that you're fully aware of what's happening to you with your body deteriorating, but you're still in the old mindset that you were when you when you were fully healthy. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Michael. The mindset is one of the most important things a human has. And going back to the rugby days, it's your mindset. If you want to go and play the game of rugby and go and smash someone, you tend to will do. If you want to succeed at something, if you've got the mindset 99 of 100 times, you will do it. So it's the same with MND. Very frustrating in some way, but I think why I'm still here after nearly four years has certainly got to do with my mindset. Just Enjoying life enough for the big wake-up call. When you get diagnosed, it's a bit of a, obviously a serious issue. No one knows how long you're going to live for. My professor said I would not walk into his surgery in, in a year's time once he officially diagnosed me. And that was quite a tricky moment because being a, a professional sportsman, been semi-fit, planning for the future. I thought it was okay. And to be given that kind of uh, notice, it makes you aware of where you are and what you're doing. And therefore, spending time with the people that 
you should be spending time with. So family, my family have been a priority from then on. So after that diagnosis, we went to New Zealand to watch the British Lives tour, which was amazing family time. I had a lot more family holidays since then, just on the back. I don't know how long I've got left. And I think more people should maybe do that, spend time with their, their family, even if it's go down to kick a football or yeah. take the kids out for a nice game because you just don't know what's around the corner. I presume it makes you realise what's really important to our day-to-day existence, whether you're fully healthy or whether you have a condition that deteriorates your body. I presume your mindset's completely shifted from the man you even were 10 years ago. It has a little bit, but in a way, I'm still here to enjoy life. I've done that for about 25 years since I got involved in rugby. Enjoy the day for what it is. You just don't know what's around the corner. But yeah, my priorities are certainly with my family and friends of good memories because that's what my life, that's what I want, and that's what like my friends have as well. But you're correct. The mindset is, is a vital part of anything. Let's and with eat. that, the foundation also gives me uh, food for thought as well. And, I, and behind the scenes, I can see what's happening with the progress of M&D and research where a lot of other patients maybe can't. And with that, that gives me I saw a glimmer of hope that there's something new coming to the table. Although you've obviously done so much and you seem to have mastered how to, to cope with it in terms of prioritizing things like family and enjoying life, would you still, even after this time, get bouts of anger about the injustice of what has happened to you? Because I think it's two in every hundred thousand, like it's an extremely rare condition. And to see your body that gave you so much as a man, a top level athlete, a strong, healthy man, would you ever feel slightly betrayed by the universe to an extent? Do you know what I mean? Would there ever be a sense of yeah, injustice I do. still? But never, never has that crossed my mind at all in some, in any way whatsoever. Why me? Uh, if it, if there's any consolation, uh, about 20 years ago, I had a, quite a bad car accident. I was involved in tipping my Land Rover Discovery upside down. The headdress went through the roof. It was that well crashed, and I walked away. And I'm not that religious but that day I thought well I could have gone upstairs see him upstairs but I, th- I think he was looking for a rugby boy and I thought like we are you're not good enough so you can wait so for example my my brother-in-law died about five years ago he was a sheep farmer uh, quite a healthy individual and I think my way of thinking goes right okay we need a sheep farmer who we're going to get Michael do you enjoy sheep no, you're not good enough. Yeah, well, no, I be Michael Dunn. <laughs> Michael Dunn was his name, right? You're coming up with me. So unfortunately, he died one night. Very big surprise for all of, all of us. Uh, a young boy, a young friend of 18, died uh, last year. And again, I think him upstairs was saying, right, I need some young kid to kind of uh, help me with my music and farming. Who am I going to get? So this young boy. So what he's done to me, he said, right, we are, we've let you off in your car crash a wee while ago. I want you to sort out MND 
if you do, you can stay. If you don't, you're going to come and see me in some due course. So that's been my sort yeah. of external attitude. It's never, never have I thought that why me? It is me. But Michael, you're right. The frustrations for me are that when you get diagnosed, you're basically sent home to self uh, find a cure. So yeah. there's no help. There's one drug came out 30 years ago that's basically a waste of time. And nothing new for the patients of hit the table. And that, to me, is uh, very frustrating. And there's no can help, try this, do this. So there's no prescription. It's a bit like you guys. Just say you fall out of a tree, you break your arm, you go to the hospital, and the hospital says, right, Michael, you've got a broken arm. Cheerio, go home and fix it yourself. You go, what? So you go on the internet, you find bandages, you don't know if you're doing the right thing or not. Well, that's the same with the MND, but much more serious way. They've got self-cure. Look at the internet and see what's good for us. And we're making decisions that we don't actually know if it's going to help or not. And that, to me, is outrageous. And that I would like to try and change at the moment. You obviously have a huge amount of courage as a man anyway, because even to play international rugby, it involves a huge amount of bravery. And in some way, it probably braced you for what hand you were dealt. But I'm just speaking from myself. Like I think that if I was, let's say, diagnosed with a condition, I, I do think I'd be, I'd be very angry. I'd look at other people and go, it's so annoying that, that I can no longer use these limbs that they can all use. Like it's, it's a remarkable attitude you have. And I think I'd 100% collapse. See, I, th- I think as well, the attitude you've got to take, and I've maybe been quite selfish. They've wanted to put a peg in my tummy for some time, which means that they put a tube in your stomach to help feed you yeah. and want me to go and um, sleep with oxygen. So yeah. on both occasions, I've said, no, 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 no. So the detrimental effect might be quite serious, but at the time my mindset is saying, if I let that happen at the moment, then I'm letting the MND win. So I'm saying, no, it's not going to happen at the moment. It's like going to have glasses, the oxygen at night. Once you wear a pair of glasses, you never go back to having good sight. So yeah. my mindset is I'm not letting M&D affect me on a daily basis unless I really have to. So the day I can't eat is the day I'll go for a peg. And the day I can't breathe will be the day that I go and have a little bit of oxygen. Until then, I'm not going to let M&D affect me. I'm going to keep fighting it. And it's going to be harder to fight. But I think a lot has to do with your mindset. Yeah, my sporting background as well has made a big difference. Do you take a lot of inspiration from Stephen Hawking? Well, I do, and in, in, in a way, Michael, a good question. Uh, <clears throat> I looked upon him to say, look, he's a bit of a survivor, but the disappointing thing now is that he's dead, and M&D has got another kind of noise to itself as taking Stephen Hawking's away. He got 50 years ago, uh, didn't he? He got 50 years ago. He did, yeah, but he's no longer here. And my negativity is that it would be great if he's still living. 
So shows to me can live for as long as you want, but 50 years, there is a bit of inspiration there. Did you, did you ever get but, to connect with Stephen? I didn't, unfortunately. That would have been great, wouldn't it? It would, but then it's very difficult. This is me, I've not really said this before. His standard of living, is that the way you want to live? And being active as I have been, I don't know if that's the way I would like to live for 50 years, that's yeah. why. If things develop to the stage where like you could get one of those boxes or something like that, you don't know if you'd, you'd want that. Those yeah. loose boxes or anything like that, that wouldn't be for you. Well, it might be, but it's the chairs, it's no muscles moving, you can't move your legs, you can't move your head, you can't speak, you can't move your arms, you're, you're basically sat in the chair all day and relying on other people. And I'm assuming, I don't know if that's the way I'd like to be, so that's why I'm fighting quite hard at the moment to be able to talk, be able to walk, still be able to use uh, my legs in the gym and one thing and that. Do you ever wonder uh, if there's something maybe like in your body years ago that came before you first noticed the first twitches or the first bit of numbness on your left side, a very mild form of it? Do you think research could get to the stage where they would be able to tell you at 22, even if you don't have any major symptoms, it looks like you're genetically disposed towards possibly having motor neurons disease in 30 years. Is that the kind of level you want to get it to? Not only do you want it to be uh, curable, but also for people to have an awareness that it could possibly happen to them. And most definitely, I think that's what the biggest issue is, because a very complicated issue, motor neuron disease. So with, with cancers, you're able to maybe take... Uh, uh, we put in contact of your liver or something, diagnose it with MD, you can't really do anything with the brain. So very difficult to analyze what's going on. And, and with that, be, that's the biggest issue to see A, how it happens, and B, how to fix it. And it's taken a lot of people a number of years. And unfortunately, COVID's gone the way, Michael, because there was some good research happening this year all over Dublin and the UK because COVID has been put on hold. Uh, but thankfully now it's back running again. So we're then like there's new trials happening. And on the back of that, they might be able to get a wee cure. And once they get a cure, they'll be able to understand maybe why people get MND. Because it's such a, a wide variety of people getting to know old people. Middle-aged, I call myself middle-aged, although I just turned 50 the other day. Yeah. And you get a lot, of, a lot of young ones as well nowadays, which is very sad, 20, 30-year-olds. So it's a very complex issue that is taking a long time to, to try and work out when, when, and why. There's a lot of people who talk about the number of sports people who have been diagnosed with MND and the possibility that blows to the brain could be linked to the condition. And that even started as far back as when Lou Gehrig, the former New York Yankees baseball player, got it himself because that was in the pre-helmet era in baseball when, when batsmen were regularly getting hit in the head with the ball. And then obviously there's been the likes of yourself, Yus van der Vestes. Do you think that that's a bit of a media stir-up or do you think that there could be a link between trauma to the head and getting motor neurons disease? I think there might be something there. Maybe not this trauma to the head. I played in a little charity game in Newcastle quite uh, a number of year, years ago before the last World Cup and I got quite a serious bang to my hip 
And I think that might have had effect or triggered MND, but again, I don't know if it did or not. But you get a lot of people, Michael, who don't play sport, who have MND, so although it might have an issue, there's a lot of other areas that maybe haven't been challenged yet to find out why, when, when. From opening the foundation you opened, have you been exposed to numerous people who have this condition who might not even also have a family to aid them in coping with the illness? Like it must be difficult for some people who are on their own if you get diagnosed with motor neurons disease. Most definitely. I would be totally lost without friends and family. As you say, I can't really show it on my own. Can't feed myself, although I've got a very healthy appetite. And you're spot on that the stories you hear about people through the charity is tearjerking. There's an individual in Yorkshire, um, he had MND but didn't have enough funds to get a stair lift to get out of the house. So he was stuck in his house for nearly six months uh, because he couldn't afford to get out. So he came to our charity. We funded, I think it was a thousand pounds there and then. That's a benefit from our charity. We can make uh, a decision very quickly. Got the steer lift. The gentleman got out to see fresh air. And I must admit, if, if I was cooped up in the house, I'll have quite serious detrimental effect. And then you hear other stories. Another man from down south got diagnosed. In September 2017, he was 36 years of age, had two young kids, and two and five. He died three months after, and you hear stories like that, three months living with two young kids. It's tear-jerking, heartbreaking of what's going on in the MND. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier. It affects people in different ways. We don't know why. I can't tell the answer to that, and that's why. But the foundation, uh, my main area and goal is to, to try and find a drug or a remedy of some sort to put a stop or a hold to it. Because you hear these stories quite often now because we've got a bit of movement of where we are and what we're doing. And it's tear-jerking. It inspires you, if anything, Michael, to get up and get on and make a big difference. I think with the rugby, my fight ultimately is with MND. And I think a lot of people are respecting that and backing me to to try and make a difference. Now, I go into the meetings with the professors who are great individuals, very intelligent, nothing to lose, quite happy to quiz them. Why, where, when? I don't think that's maybe happened before. So I stand at six through six, asking them these difficult questions that they're not used to. And it's maybe stun the pigeons up a little bit. The most difficult thing about it though is we all want more research and more funding into motor neurons disease because it is debatably the worst diagnosis you can get in a physician's office. In terms of illness, it's, it's nearly more serious than other terminal illnesses because it has the effect of seeing somebody's body basically break down in front of their eyes. But the thing with it is the numbers are very low. And isn't it just kind of a pity the way medicine works that 
you have to order things and levels of importance in terms of numbers. And motor neurons disease, it doesn't affect enough people probably to get the attention it deserves in the medical world. I think that is a fair comment. You're very correct. If we go back to your original statement, I totally agree on that other terminal issues. There's a bit of hope now with them. So say cancer, for example, there's a little bit of hope because there's so much going on behind the scenes, trials, bugs, they can get involved in with MD. There is nothing that's going to save your life at the moment. And, and with that, we want to try and change that. But I can say something, Michael, and we'll try and bring it in. That if we get a fix to MND, a neurological issue, that could go into other neurological issues as well. So with that, there's a big, I would like to see maybe more time, effort, money put onto this because it'll help with other brain issues. What is the way in which people who pass on from motor neuron disease, what actually causes death in the end? The diaphragm muscles stop working. So it could be that, the heart, you can't eat, you're not getting your right amount of vitamins in. Yep, your head might give in. <coughs> so yeah, I would go for that that way, you see, because I think a lot has to do with your head as well. When you say this, I've been fighting MND the same time my mum was fighting cancer. So the, when I got diagnosed nearly four years ago, mum had a bad bout of cancer and we didn't think she'd get through the Christmas. Uh, so I never said anything to my family till January just to see how we get on through there. So mum fought pretty hard with her cancer and then just maybe a year past June, she gave our engagement ring away to her niece. And that to me was her submission. She had enough, she couldn't fight anymore. And within five days, she was no longer here. And that shows you again how important your headspace is. And with that, we've got to keep fighting. And I think it is, I don't really know the answer to that question. But I'm pretty certain it'll be your diaphragm not working because your muscles disappear there. Hence, you need to have the oxygen in. But it could be a combination of not eating properly, not doing that, but I would imagine that'll be the case. And does it, does it hurt? Is there ever pain involved in the condition? The only pain is, my friend, is frustration. Uh, there's nothing there for people with MND, but again, on my condition, I don't really have any pain. It's just, I didn't have that many muscles anyway. <laughs> I was always quite a lanky boy. So with that, it's just the strength. The muscles give away, get the odd little crap on your leg, but actually no serious pain. In my way, but I'm pretty certain there might be some listeners that might have a different condition, because you said before, different people have different mannerisms of MND and my one, there's no pain attached. And is there a possibility of taking a fall or something like that that can set back dealing with the condition? That's, that's a very good point. Uh, that's been my major sort of issues at the moment. So when I fall or trip, it's like falling or tripping with your hands in your pockets. So I've done that a couple of times. I'm a bit more aware now that when you do that, you lose your balance. You you hit the ground pretty hard yeah. from my height. So an example would be 
I tried to shut the car do door with my bottom and I did that but then I lost my balance and fell on the ground and smashed my head. But okay. when you smash my head, it's not a serious issue. But then I couldn't really get up because my hands are not strong enough to sort of do a press up or anything off the ground. Yeah. Uh, so I was there for about maybe five, ten minutes. So what I've gone and done, and I'm very lucky with the support where I'm, I've got myself an eye watch. That's a typical example that I don't want that to happen again. If it does happen, then I'm able to press my watch because I can't get my phone out of my pocket. So mm. I've got an eye watch. I can press a button, shout to it to call my good lady and she can come and rescue me. So on that occasion, it gives me confidence to go out and on the farm and do things. And if I do get stuck, I can call for help. But yeah, I've fallen over a, a couple of times and smashed my head. On one occasion, I punctured my lungs, so that didn't help no. too much. I had to go as well. But these things happen. You still get out experience. there, though. You still hit the farm, and you still go out there on your own, and you take on every day, and you're aware of these dangers, but you're just saying, if I start hiding from these dangers, I may as well pack it in now. You are spot on exactly that. My fight's with M&D, and if I give in, that means that M&D's won that round, and I'm not willing to do that. So, yeah, go on the farm, look around the sheep. I've got a buggy that I'll drive. Go on the tractor still as well, so do as much as I can, just to give the two... <laughs> The two fingers to M&D to say, you're not stopping me, Mr. M&D. You live for so many years without it. When we dream, our brain goes to places that touches on the past. And you played in front of 80,000 people. You've had a lot of strange life experiences that not everyone would have. When you ever dream at night, are you ever walking around? Are you ever tackling someone using your arms? And then you, you wake up and realize that this has happened to your body and it all comes back to you the first minute you wake up in the morning. I dream about one day taking... Something that'll help me, so that maybe I, some spice that I take that helps him indeed, just by chance. I do dream about that sometimes. I take a pill just by chance for something I, I'm, I'm requiring, a spice, tomato sauce, yeah. <laughs> uh, mayonnaise, whatever, tonic tea cakes, whatever. I eat a bit of that and bang, I'm back to having the bit of muscle again. Because I enjoyed... My chapter, I think, Michael, the big thing is in life is enjoy yourself while you can. So my rugby days, I thoroughly enjoyed a great time. Met a lot of lovely people within that. Enjoyed every minute. And that, to me, is in the past. Another thing that's very inspiring, though, especially in the modern world, things are so shallow. And people would be worried about walking into a restaurant having a physical condition. You wouldn't give any time to that. This wouldn't affect your your social life, where you wouldn't feel Doddy Weir, the former giant, is now a man whose shoulders are sinking in. You don't take any embarrassment or shame or any of that stupid stuff that some people might suffer with. No, I definitely not. And people who do that uh, quite shallow because there's no understanding why people have this issue. I think my, someone else might have been different if you were the cause of it. But no one knows why the cause of MND. So hold your head high and enjoy life. And that means go to a restaurant you've always been doing. Remember your fight to get MND. Keep doing it, even if you maybe can't walk in. Enjoy. I've got a drink. Guinness through a store now. 
because I can't really get the paint up to my mouth. But how's the taste through the straw? Absolutely fantastic. Does it? Yeah. Two or three pints and I've got to wobble up the stairs. I might start doing Yep. <laughs> but again, don't give in. Keep drinking what you're doing, whatever it may be, tea, orange juice. Enjoy it. I've just found another way to drink so I can keep drinking Michael Knight's support. Keep living, keep enjoying, and uh, I can't say any more than that, boss. Because you have this thing going on in your life, do you still have the energy mentally to provide opinions towards other people so let's say with your children for example you'd still be able to not just have a, a good relationship but you'd also be able to be the stern father when necessary and fucking get the whip out as a father has to do i don't mean literally but i mean you still have to stamp your authority the odd time even though you have this condition it's a bit harder now because i'm still the tallest in my family although my three kids are pretty close They'll vary from about six two, six four. So with that, I've got nineteen year old, eighteen and sixteen. They they're certainly stronger than me. So you got to do it in a different way. I think the old days, if they were a bit cheeky, you could use the whip and crack them as they came out. You you were able to sort them out. <laughs> what was your father like, Daddy? Uh, he was quite quiet until Mum was there. The taskmaster, she'd belt us with a wooden spoon. And uh, if we got a bit above that, she'd say, Right, I'm going to get your old boy. He's a big boy, six foot four. <laughs> uh, it'd be about 19, 20 stone. So when she said, I'll get dad, we were quite scared. <laughs> so behaved herself. But my boys are probably not that scared of me now. So I've got to try and do it a different way, a bit of a mental way. But you're right. It's, What's enjoyable, Michael, seeing the kids grow up. Now, I could easily have not been here. So see them driving the car, passing their driving test, going out with some mates, bringing the mates back, see the exam results, see them playing games of rugby. It's all what family life's about. Going out for tea sometimes, having a bit of laugh and a giggle. And I'm very lucky at the moment that I can still do that and enjoy that and long may that continue. Are any of the boys any good at the old uh, egg ball? Will we see any of them well, in the anytime soon? The egg ball, wait till I catch up with you, mister. The oldest one has a great attitude and understanding to the game, but is very lazy, can't be bothered training. The middle one... Is he a bit rock and roll or what? He is a bit that long hair, hair banding, Respect. Let him express gold himself. Boots, gold boots, all they show, but there's more train. The middle one's not too bad, but the real ones in the Scotland under 18 academy. Okay. So he's got a bit of potential at the moment, but it's quite nice to find their own way and do what they want to do and enjoy it while they can. Doddy Weir, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Michael, thank you very much to everyone. Take care, stay safe. All right, cheers, Doddy. Bye bye. Well done, boys. Cheers, Daddy. Nice one. I'll, uh, we'll we'll email you again. I don't like to say, but number 91 on your list. That's outrageous. We just have to get you over the line. <laughs> Take care of that runaway. Thank you. Chat again. Cheers now. I was Michael Anthony, and that was Daddy Weir. One of the most fascinating and unique individuals I have ever had the pleasure of speaking to. And much like Gunga Dean. 
Doddy Weir is truly a better man than I. Great guy. Yeah. Probably taking piss, yeah? No. Yeah. You've a lot of fans to win back over. I took a nose dive. Did it? We'll be hearing from Pat Martin once again next week. It's been long overdue since we had a run-of-the-mill, normal Michael Anthony show. And I do feel like we need to spiritually reconnect with the week-in, week-out cult listeners of the Michael Anthony show. That For me, that's anyone who's who's been here from episode 20 onwards. They're the people we care about. But it is difficult to pretend that the current world we inhabit is anything other than miserable, which makes the idea of speaking to you as opposed to a guest all the more difficult. I don't know an individual who is currently happy. It's shocking what is going on at the minute, but when you speak to individuals like Dottie Weir, well, it just puts it all into perspective. If you like the show, rate it on Apple Podcasts, and if you do not enjoy the show, stay away from the rating system. See you next week, I'm Aisha. It's been how many years, my no, boy? Not, not you still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take Radio it cast. slow. Podcast. And have you heard the Michael Anthony Make it feel alright